Do we need another Samson? Visiting whores and playing with unbelief? Or do we need one who stands in our place and dies for our unbelief? Welcome back to Roundtable, a podcast produced by Mid-America Reformed Seminary. This is episode 49, and I'm Jared Luchibor. Thank you for joining us. Well, no doubt, I think we would all agree on the importance of Christ-centered sermons, Christ and Him crucified, the good news of salvation preached through all of Scripture. Over the past many years, our professors have labored in preaching Christ and the gospel in various churches all throughout the U.S. and Canada, uh, but even here on the campus of Mid-America during the seminary's time of chapel. Some of these chapel messages are currently being compiled into a book currently in the works, so it's our pleasure to give you a sneak peek and show showcase a couple of these sermons for you. First up is Dr. J. Mark Beach with a word from the book of Judges and the story of Samson. I hope you enjoy. We're going to turn to Judges chapters 16, and we're going to take a big swath of scripture, and this meditation, this chapel meditation, could certainly be handled in shorter chunks, but there's also something fruitful in seeing the big sweep of stories. So we're going to read the first six verses and then uh, near the end of the chapter as well. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went into her. And the Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, and then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose, took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After that... Uh, we have the episodes with Delilah, and I'm going to trust you're familiar with that, and pick up the reading at verse 23. Of course, being betrayed by Delilah, she finds out the secret of his great strength, shaves his head, his eyes are put out, he's captured, shackled, and brought back to Gaza, where he's enslaved and... uh, placed in the prison where the mill is to grind grain. Now at verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gather to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they say, said, Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their god. And they said, Our god has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our countries killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. And they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. And they made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me fill the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. 
Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. And his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Ashtoal and the tomb of Manoah, his father. He judged Israel 20 years. Well, for this chapel meditation, it's important, I think, when we look at Samson, Israel's looking at a flawed figure, no doubt, unless you commend visiting prostitutes in Gaza. I don't think so. Um, but then Samson was always one who was cutting corners. We see that at the very beginning. He didn't take his Nazarite vow with the sort of seriousness that was, he was, you would expect, you would hope for. A pre-announced birth a long-for-anticipated child, a miracle baby, so to speak, one set aside to be a judge and a unique judge, not just uh, a military judge, but one who was stirred by the Spirit of the Lord and given great strength to accomplish a great task. And yet, a flawed figure, yet one who easily desecrated his Nazarite vows as when he scooped his hands into the carcass, the dead, rotting carcass of the lion, and ate and gave to his parents, one who sought a bride from among the heathen, the Philistines, the very overlords and oppressors of his people, and one who met humiliation at their hand, even as God would give deliverance. Well, his own people had delivered Samson one time into the hands of the Philistines, which shows you it's not that Samson is the flawed fellow only, and the Israelites are these wonderful people who aren't doing what's right in their own eyes in those days. Indeed, that characterized the time. It was a time of compromise. It wasn't a time of conquest. It was a time of going along to get along. It was a time actually through this spiritual compromise that they met oppression by their oppressors. The people God had called them to drive out, they actually made dates with and suffered for it. We find here then, after Samson had been betrayed by his own people and gained victory, he uh, when in, there was a kind of uh, defeat of the Philistines, they couldn't press an advantage. And yet, what do we read next at, at chapter 16? He went to Gaza, which is in the heart of Philistine territory. There saw a prostitute and went into her. It wasn't there to evangelize her, all right? Samson is so good, he evangelized her. No, that's not what it says. The Gazites learned of this, and so they plot to lay a trap for him. 
And here we find that Samson enters the heart of Philistine satanic turf. And through this whole episode and what follows, we discover that the path to Satan's demise is a difficult one. And it's still, though a certain demise, the victory's won. The task to kingdom come is still one that calls us to service, to obedience, to faith, to trust, to dependency. We find here that, well, if you want points, the, the path to Satan's demise is anticipated by the Gaza affair that the path to Satan's demise seems thwarted by his exploits with Delilah. And indeed, the path to Satan's demise is finally accomplished by what happens in the temple of the pagan god. Now, yes, there is a hint of hope in this messy affair at Gaza. The reason he's there is not good. And what we discover is they discover him and they lay plot. They decide, look, we'll get him in the morning uh, when he least expect it. Perhaps he have spent himself in spending the night here and uh, we'll ambush him in the morning. But Samson, we're told, uh, gets up at midnight, he's locked into the city, no problem, they won't open the gates, I'll simply remove them. And so these are big mighty city gates, tree trunk like posts holding the doors of the gates. And what does he do? He plucks the whole business out of the ground, he totes them uphill basically to Mount Hebron, he takes Gaza which the name of which is strong place and makes it a weak place. And where does he take these gates, the symbol of Philistine power and authority and strength? He takes them to Hebron, plants them up there as a symbol, almost like a sacrament, almost like a, a visible sign of an invisible grace. Look, Israel. He plants them in Hebron as testimony to his own people. You're weak, you're oppressed, but the ones you count strong, God renders weak. And here's a sign of their strength <laughs> in your own midst, but actually of their weakness. They're not strong. Indeed, we do see something of an application that the fight is the Lord's, the victory is the Lord's, the hope we have is through the Lord. And yet, and even that the Lord will accomplish good things through a flawed office bearer. And flawed he was. In fact, his flaw is what brings us to that sad affair with Delilah. Because once again, we don't find a woman of purity here. He falls in love with this woman in the Valley of Zorik. Delilah. Well, we find a lot of Sarahs out there, Deborahs. We don't find too many Delilahs out there. And we know why, because she seeks to seduce him for money. Once again, the Philistines are looking for a way to, to finally 
gain control over this oppressor and gain vengeance over him. And she betrays him, we're told, that the five lords of the Philistines would each pay her 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find the secret or the strength. And you know the little love game that ensues. You know, if you uh, tie me with seven fresh bowstrings, I'll be as weak, and, and it's not so. And, and if you tie me with new ropes, then you, you can bound me, have me, I'll be weak, and it's not so. And he plays this game, and he gets closer to the truth. If you weave the seven locks of my hair and fasten it tight with a pin into the loom, I'll be weak as others, and again, it's not so. And little lovers quarrels and spats and begging and crying. Oh, it sounds like back to his wedding day and the threat against his wife who wheedled the answer of his riddle from him. And so finally, how can you say you love me three times? And finally he tells her, I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall be weak and be like any other man. And she has his head shaved while he sleeps. And then when she calls that the Philistines are upon him, indeed they are. And they blind him and bound him. Now, here it seems that kingdom come has finally failed. The mighty instrument of the mighty God has been outmaneuvered by the charms of a woman. And it is important that we see how the devil fights. If we're going to see de the devil's demise, it's not that he uh, takes a headlong assault and looks for our strengths, but usually finds and looks for our weaknesses. And Samson's weaknesses from the beginning were with the opposite sex and his desires, what the delight of his eyes. She's fine in my eyes. She's a delight in my eyes. This one's right for me. Yes, Samson was a sensual sort of person given to that sort of weakness. Maybe that's not yours. But it is for a lot of people still in Christian ministry. Maybe that's not yours. That's a strength of yours, actually, that, that I'm not tempted particularly that way. But many of your brothers in Christ are nonetheless. But even if that's not it, what is yours? You know, sometimes we can build, be building powerful walls of theological truth but the mortar we use is filled with all kinds of human pride and conceit. And then your wall really isn't that strong, because the devil has found your weakness. Sometimes we can look at ourselves as uh, very devoted to moral purity. Maybe that's so, but are we filled with Christ's love in the midst of it? Because it's always easier to just discipline your life than to have a heart that loves the Lord and is surrendered to him and has a love for neighbor. 
the Lord is, the devil's ever looking for our vulnerable spots. In fact, sometimes it's where we're strong, we're weak. Samson was the mighty Samson. Samson, the lion killer. Samson, the, 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 the slayer of a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. The spirit stirs him, mighty Samson, but he's a moral weakling. And the devil knows it. He indulges himself, and the devil goes after him. And even though we have that great testimony of the power of God at the gates of Gaza look overlooking Hebron and testifying to God's people, the Lord's your deliverer, yet Samson himself, the deliverer the Lord uses, betrays in the hands of a spiteful, greedy woman who obviously doesn't love him as he loved her, who betrays his secret and his Nazarite vow to her. And now we reach back out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. What is stronger? What is sweeter than honey, Samson? What is stronger than a lion? Those riddles and the answer to the riddle, which are themselves a riddle, they're asked as questions. What is sweeter than honey? Temptation? Sensuality? What's stronger than a lion? Samson is, but a woman's tears? You don't love me? Her seductive charms prove stronger than a lion for Samson. And now out of the eater comes something to eat indeed. For Samson with his sticky hands and the Philistine lion carcass now grinds grain for the enemies of God to put bread on their tables. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And what is sweeter than sweet? Revenge. We have him. We got him. Entertain us, Samson. Call him out. They... Our God has given Samson unto our, our God, Dagon, is God. Our God is strong. Samson and his God are weak. Entertain us, Samson. And here we discover then that what looks thwarted in the Valley of Zork, that hard path to Satan's demise is finally accomplished here with the death of Samson and the death of the Philistines in the temple of Dagon himself. We know the story well. He's called out. He's placed between the pillars upon which the temple rests there. The place is packed. People are all along the roof looking in, standing there. And then Samson prays. Samson had prayed before. Samson was aware that it wasn't merely Samson who could accomplish these things. Samson blinded Samson, helpless Samson, led by the hand Samson, entertaining God's enemies Samson, the bread provider for the kingdom of darkness Samson. Samson the humbled, blinded, maybe now he sees a little bit, praise. Not a perfect prayer. He 
vows, he, he, he says to the Lord, O Lord God, remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged. I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And he says, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crumbles. And he kills more in death than in his life. Now, Satan's demise is short-lived in such an episode, right? They take him. He's buried with his fathers. He judged Israel 20 years. So in one little sliver of real estate, for a little sliver of time, God gave a little sliver of a deliverer of sorts for the battles of kingdom come. And you say, well, you're going to go to Jesus next. Yes, I am. <laughs> well, I think I should. What kingdom come are you going to accomplish except by Him? Why do you pray? For kingdom come. Do you? I suspect you do. And not through the Christ who's come. Do we need another Samson? Visiting whores and playing with unbelief? Or do we need one who stands in our place and dies for our unbelief? Do we need one who says, Avenge me, Lord, for my two eyes. Or do we need one? He says, avenge me for their sins. Samson points us to Jesus very inadequately. He points us there how much we need a deliverer, a judge, a mediator, a king, a lord, a savior, who dies for our sins, whose cross is planted on another hill as a testimony of the power of God where we see weakness, where the devil says, finally I got him, and yet an empty tomb says no. We need to see that the Lord calls us to obedience to this Christ, not to finish what he's accomplished, but to live out the victory of what he's accomplished. Not, oh, I'm glad Jesus died on the cross for my sins so I can do more sinning. <laughs> it's never that. But it's a church that also has to pray and say, help us, Lord. Deliver us, Lord. Keep us in Christ, Lord. Bring his victory, Lord. Indeed, Maranatha, Lord, come quickly, Lord, come quickly, that we would know the fullness of this kingdom come. Samson is a riddle that one so flawed is yet God's instrument, but we're all riddles. I mean, here we sit in seminary with our sins, with our weaknesses, with our inadequacies. And that includes the professors having started with the students. <laughs> but the students too. Here we are. And we pray to the Lord to use us to protect us from Gaza and Delilah and every other instrument of Satan.
satanic kingdom here that we can see the Lord kingdom come. Indeed, he does come because that cross does testify that what looks like weakness is God's power to save. And then if you ask what is sweeter than honey, I'm going to tell you the sweet love of God in Christ Jesus. And if you ask what is stronger than a lion, I'm going to tell you the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is strong enough to save. Amen. What is sweeter than honey, the sweet love of God in Christ Jesus. What is stronger than a lion, the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is strong enough to save. Thank you, Dr. Beach, for that message from the book of Judges. Next time we turn to Reverend Andrew Compton, who will bring us a word from Proverbs. We hope you'll join us for that next time. For more podcast episodes, you can find us on our website at midamerica.edu. You can find us on YouTube as well. And wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, be sure to search Mid-America Reform Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchabor. Till next time.